great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna... What is up, everybody? Welcome in to the post-draft edition of Shout, a Buffalo Bills football podcast. He is Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino. We had three straight days of action. Uh, The rosters around the NFL look a lot different, including the Buffalo Bills. We're going to get into all of the good stuff. We're going to give you our grades. We're going to talk about the day three guys. We're going to kind of look ahead and maybe what else the Bills can do to finalize this roster. Ryan, how much fun did you have this weekend? Because this is your time of year. Hey, I had a, I had a great time. Uh, a little made a little more challenging. My wife went to go see her best friend for the weekend. So juggling the draft, the kids, the animals, it was, it was a little more challenging this year, but <laughs> love the draft nonetheless. Listen, I, that is a power move there by Joel. I, my hat's off to her. If I was wearing one, I would tip of the cap. That is, um, you know, just get out of the chaos. Go, you know, live it up a little bit for a couple of days. That's that's very nice. Yeah, yeah. Friends, uh, like six months pregnant, so it was going up there doing like a little. Okay, so it wasn't. And yeah, so there was yeah. a little bit of you know they, they weren't like going out and you know hitting the town too much. I, I don't imagine. think so. I don't think so. Okay. All right. The Bills went into day three with uh, two picks. Uh, they left it with three. They went into the draft with six picks. They they end up with with six, and I know we talked a lot about it on Thursday night about the Bills' aggressive move to move up to get Dalton Kincaid, cost them a fourth round pick. Well, they end up leaving with the same amount of picks that they had going in. Um, let's start with their first pick on day three, and it's an interesting one for a lot of different reasons. Wide receiver Justin Shorter out of Florida, a guy that if you go back Ryan to when he was coming into college football in 2018. He was that dude. He was the number one wide receiver prospect in that class going in. He was a five-star recruit. I mean, the the sky was the limit for this guy. And he started at Penn State, transferred to Florida. The production never really, you know, met up with the um, the hype around him coming out of high school. Now, he said yesterday that um, a lot of it had to do with, you know, the injuries, you know, changing schools, whatever the reason may be. But this is an, an athletic freak type of player, 6'4", uh, big body guy, 230. And so this is a situation, Ryan, where they like the player from a d- developmental perspective for a wide receiver, but also he's going to come in from day one, four phase special teamer. He's excited to contribute in that part of the game. Um, an interesting prospect to kind of watch here uh, day three, the, the first guy they get. Yeah. Like you said, imagine 2018 being ranked ahead of Jalen Waddle and I'm on Ross St. Brown, Jamar chase. That's exactly where shorter was in terms of the prospect rankings and injuries did hurt him quite a bit throughout his uh, college career at different stops, but the bills brought him in for a top 30 visit. They did their homework on him. Shorter had shared on his social media, the field house and, uh, they they apparently loved what they heard, and like you said, he's going to come in. He's going to play special teams. He might maybe maybe he'll be like a red zone weapon for him this year on offense. You can kind of line him up there, like you said, six four, uh, good athlete could really make a, a nice living as a rookie doing a role like that. And it's also 
maybe potentially some Gabe Davis insurance. Uh, Gabe Davis is entering the final year of his rookie deal. Uh, we've talked a lot about how much number two wide receiver contracts are these days. It's very high. And I know the Bills love Gabe Davis. Maybe they'll work something out that uh, meet in the middle, so to speak. But it never hurts having another weapon here that you think you can develop, turn into something that could become more of a regular contributor. Uh, so the the pick itself made a lot of sense based on the due diligence the Bills did on him and, and the need for a wide receiver. Comment here uh, in the chat, is, is this a guy similar to DK Metcalf? I think, first of all, it's dangerous comparing anybody to Metcalf. He's kind of a unicorn in the way that he's so built, he's so big, and he runs so fast. He ran a 4-3-3 at the, at the combine. Shorters in the 4-5s, different like level of speed for sure for Metcalf. But the the type of receiver that he is, I don't think he's going to – you know, beat a lot of guys at the line of scrimmage with, you know, nuanced route running, especially early on. This is a guy that wants to try to run past you at the second level. In a lot of ways, reminds you, to your point, of a, of a Gabe Davis in the way that he wins and has had some big plays over the course of his career. I like the pick. It's somebody that I feel like has a super high ceiling, maybe a lower floor from some of those other middle of the road uh, wide receiver guys. But I think he had a fifth round grade. Um, or maybe I got to go back and look fifth or, or fourth round grade from Dane Brugler, but it's, it's a position. Listen, Ryan, from a 30,000 foot view perspective, a lot of people wanted the bills to go into this draft and to find weapons. Right. And I think they went out and got arguably the best in the draft in Kincaid, depending on who you talk to Jan- Daniel Jeremiah, I still think is, uh, throwing down uh, love notes to, to Brandon Bean for drafting Kincaid on day one. He absolutely loved the pick. But in shorter, this is a wide receiver class that the the elite of the elite, they're all smaller guys. This is a more traditional big body outside receiver. And I think that with, you know, going out and getting Kincaid, uh, having Deontay Hardy on the roster already, I kind of liked this style of player and where they got him. Yeah, uh, agreed completely. Different than the guys that were going in the first round in terms of the size, in terms of his where he wins. Uh, you mentioned he needs to work on the route running a little bit. Well, he's going to be seeing Stefan Diggs uh, at that facility, one of the best route runners in this league. I'm sure you can pick up a lot from him. And on day three, when you're a championship team, when you have a championship roster, you, you know you take your swings at guys like this because it, it's hard to find guys on day three, late day three, round five, six, seven, that are going to be absolute locks to make the roster. Uh, Shorter has the opportunity due to his size, due to – um, the type of player he he was coming out. If you can get any of that, keep him healthy. He could end up being a really nice, pleasant surprise for this team. You look at the attitude and the stuff that you mentioned, like the the Bills really liking the person, right? Like he has a chip on his shoulder. I mean, he might have at one time been this hyped up prospect, but you know, he's a far way away from that. And he's, you know, coming in here with a chip on his shoulder, knowing he has something to um, prove. I think he landed in a really nice spot. A guy like Gabe Davis, who has just gone through this process of the first few years of his career can probably shed a lot of light on what this is going to look like for him as he tries to earn any kind of opportunity he can. And then Stefan Diggs. I mean, if you want to try to like improve your game, raise your stock from a route running perspective, I'm not sure there's many more uh, receivers in the league that you'd want to be in the same wide receiver room with. Um, Shorter said something interesting. He said he spent a lot of time over the recruiting um, trail with new wide receivers coach and Adam Henry, and they built a really good relationship. So I feel like if you're getting a stamp, uh, you know, a check mark from Adam Henry at this point, a very seasoned veteran wide receiver coach who's worked with a lot of elite talent over the course of his career, I think you got to be excited for that. And then I like also 
the confidence level. And Brandon even mentioned it yesterday. Like, this is not a guy that's lacking for any confidence. He comes in here and says he's getting ready to tear the league up uh, when he gets his opportunities. I think you like that kind of energy coming out of a guy that, you know, is going to have to do a lot of work to, to find any type of meaningful role. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned Henry, uh, the wide receivers coach, because I'm sure it's always been this way, but it feels like we heard more in this draft class about those uh, wide receivers coaches, the O-line coach when it came to the Osiris Torrance deal, kind of giving their stamp of approval, saying this is someone I can work with, this is someone I can develop, bring along, and Osiris Torrance doesn't need to be brought along like a shorter does, but um, it's nice to hear that these guys probably pounded the table for these specific players when uh, they were on the board and they think they can come in and become instant contributors. So really excited to see what shorter can do. You know, the, the bills have uh, big numbers now at wide receiver, including Shakir coming back. We've already talked about Diggs and Davis, obviously uh, Hardy, who they signed in free agency, Trent Sherfield. So it's going to be in- intriguing to know how many end up making the 53 man roster. Uh, but, you know, you never say never when it comes to Justin Shorter based on the, you know, the elite type of athlete that he is and where he once was, if they can kind of scratch the surface on that. We're going to go pick by pick here. We're going to give our grades. We'll start with uh, Shorter. Obviously, we've been talking about him for a few minutes here. I'm giving the pick a, a B plus, Ryan. I think that there's upside. I think that you you might have been able to find a defensive tackle maybe in this range, especially if you would have stuck and pick at 137. But we're going to talk about this in a little bit. But Brandon Bean was determined on day three to add capital in 2024, which I think is really smart. You go in with 10 picks next year and you all of a sudden become a really aggressive, potentially aggressive team to go out and get a few players that you really like. I mean, there's some exciting wide receiver prospects in that draft. You know, maybe you go defensive line heavy next year if you like that class, however it ends up kind of materializing. But I really like this shorter pick with where they got him. I give it a B plus. Yeah, I'll give it a B. And you mentioned the extra assets the Bills were able to get by uh, moving around the draft board on day three. And next year's class is supposed to be stronger. So having the extra assets that you can use to kind of move up or move around the board is never a bad thing. But Shorter himself, he's a player that has a legitimate chance of making this roster. Uh, So in the fifth round, I I think that that's worth at least a B. Sticking out on their board in the seventh, um, they did not make a pick in the sixth because of the the three trades that they made. They ended up getting two seventh round picks and they started with Ole Miss offensive lineman Nick, Nick Broker. And listen, if, if this guy doesn't fit the Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott mold of offensive lineman, I don't know what does. He could come in here day one, willing to play all five positions on the offensive line. It almost feels like in a lot of ways, the new version of Ryan Bates, like when they when they got him from Philadelphia a couple of years ago, guy that played guard and tackle in, in college, uh, willing to maybe try some some center here with the Bills. And this is, to me, doubling down. They started with Osiris Torrance at 59. This is obviously a position group that the Bills were uncomfortable with last year in terms of what they got production-wise. They upgrade with, you know, Connor McGovern, potentially David Edwards too, but that wasn't enough for Brandon Bean. He hit it hard in the draft with Torrance first. We'll get to that in a minute. I really, really like this uh, draft pick here in Broker, who, you know, maybe on their board was maybe a late fifth, sixth round pick in, in, in their mind. Yeah. And Broker, again, a player that the Bills did their due diligence on. They did a Zoom interview with him ahead of the draft. I'm sure they met with him uh, possibly the pro day as well. Uh, so someone that they like, and you mentioned it, he is kind of the jack of all trades, can play all five spots. The Bills love players with versatility uh, that can do that. And, and now this is, Almost every year, Matt, I feel like the Bills going with a ton of guards, a ton of guys 
competing for a few spots. And it's going to make training camp uh, that much more interesting because you mentioned Connor McGovern. You mentioned Ryan Bates. Uh, obviously, David Edwards. They they draft two more guards here. And Ike, Ike Butker's back as well. So it's going to be a, a fight to make this roster. And even if Broker ends up on the practice squad, he's someone that you love for the the uh, like I said, the versatility, the ability to kind of plug and play across uh, different spots on the line if someone goes down with an injury. So definitely worth developing. Love the fact that Brandon Bean said that he was ranked higher, significantly higher than anyone else on their board at that point. So a good value pick for the Bills. I'll, I'll go with an A for that because of where you got him in the seventh round. Yeah, I'm going to give him an A minus uh, here. I, I like the player. I think a, a is fine, too. I also think it was kind of cool reading through the notes on him. He was actually the recipient in 2022 of the Kent Hall uh, Award, yeah. which is for the best offensive lineman in Mississippi. Uh, obviously, the home state of of Kent Hall, Wall of Famer for the Bills, the the center during the Super Bowl era. Really, really cool thing. And you know, Broker seems like the the perfect fit from a perspective situation. So that's going to be kind of fun to track that offensive line battle in, in camp, especially in the interior. These are going to be Ryan, some knock them out, drag them out fights for these roster spots, for these roster spots. And then for the starting spots, I mean, we're going to, we're talking about going all the way up until September. We could have a situation where Sean McDermott's like, Hey, I'm going to wait and see who really proves it over that long haul. And and then that person will win the job. Yeah. I'm excited for it as well. I almost uh, feel like Ryan Bates might be at a disadvantage going into this because he, like Broker, who we were just talking about, can play all five spots on the line. So uh, if they like what Torrance brings, obviously second-round pick, first-round type value, you'd like to think he's going to start. You, you gave McGovern a good amount of money. He was a very solid uh, guard in, during his stint in Dallas. Because Bates can play across the line, they may say, well, he's going to be our, our number one reserve at guard. He can be our backup at center. Uh, being too versatile almost might cost Bates a starting job in this, but time will tell. The Bates part of it is really interesting. We'll talk about this more when we get to Torrance. Let's get to the final pick of day three of the draft for the Bills. And, you know, Sean McDermott, we've seen pictures of him in that in that uh, war room in all the pictures the Bills put out. You know, he's not letting Brandon get out of a draft without getting him a defensive back in some way, shape or form. And I was actually surprised, Ryan, that they didn't go safety at a few spots, especially some of those trade backs. There were some guys on the board that I thought that the Bills might have, you know, thought about in, in, in different spots. They end up landing on a cornerback uh, who is Brandon Bean said he, they specifically see him as a corner. Alex Austin out of Oregon state, uh, the alma mater of Jordan Poyer. He gets to play in the uh, same defensive backfield for a little bit. Anyway, see if he makes the team of an Oregon state legend. Um, the big thing that stands out on his scouting report. And I, if you want to read my, my story, it's up at uh, Syracuse.com. I have all the grades uh, listed there as well. And then a grade for the, um, draft class. Austin has played uh, in a, in a zone heavy scheme throughout college. He comes in and he's almost a polar opposite of Kyer Elam, who played strictly man, a lot of press uh, man in college. So now you have a guy in Austin who maybe you can you know work into the mix and and, and takes a little bit less effort and time to get them up to speed on just the the concept and the techniques of being an off corner. Yeah, and we saw that last year with Christian Benford, another guy that was a day three pick that played in a zone-heavy defense and how quickly he picked it up. The same could be said possibly for uh, Alex Austin as well when it comes to the Bills. Time will tell uh, on that. Uh, Tough to envision him making the roster, but if he's on the practice squad, he's a guy you can develop. You can bring along over the year too, and 
have him come back the following year and maybe he will be more ready for a spot. Competition is exactly what this team is all about. They're giving a guy that's a scheme fit an opportunity here. And, you know, if he does kind of transition over to the scheme as easily as, as he could, based on his knowledge of being in his own heavy defense, he could be a pleasant surprise this summer. I gave uh, this move here a B plus. I think that it's, you know, whenever I give this regime full confidence when it comes to finding defensive back um, help on day three. They've done it year in and year out. I mean, going all the way back to Taron Johnson, you know, Levi Wallace was a UDFA. So I guess you could kind of throw him into the mix there as well. Dane Jackson. I mean, Christian Benford, you mentioned over and over again, they do a good job of scouting that position. All right, let's move to um, the first three picks in this draft. And I think we start with the most polarizing. And that was the third round pick at number 91, where the Bills go out and get Dorian Williams, the linebacker uh, out of Tulane. I gave this pick a C. And I, I didn't love doing that because after spending 15, 20 minutes with Dorian yesterday, he was at one Bills drive. We got a chance to talk to him a little bit. The charisma and the energy exuding from the guy, you understand how a team could fall in love with him. And then the, the deeper that you dig into, you know, not only his career, but last season, I mean, he was an absolute monster for the Tulane football team last year who had a complete turnaround. You want to talk about, you know, flipping the culture and, and, and becoming a winning program. Dorian Williams was a big reason why. And he was an absolute animal in the bowl game. I mean, putting up insane stats. And I think long-term, the more I thought about this and why maybe I would bump it up a little bit if I was redoing the grade now, is that I think from a coverage perspective, you need speed, you need recognition ability, you need change of direction. And I think that he brings a lot of that. And this is, you know, a, a regime again that that tab Matt Milano in that role years ago. And, you know, maybe we are moving toward more towards a positionless linebacker situation in this defense. And they're maybe not as concerned with filling that prototypical Mike position, despite Sean McDermott now having two top five guys in both of his last two spots. I like parts of the Williams deal. I just think that they could have maybe addressed a different spot at that position. Yeah, uh, I'll give it a C minus. Someone in the, the comments of our last show, Matt, told me I needed to go outside and enjoy spring. And uh, I, I guess that was the insult for not liking this pick. Talked about uh, how he could be a fit for this team. I, it's. I want to see how they're going to use him. It, I was not encouraged when the Bills said, "Yeah, we're going to start him on the outside and and as a special teams contributor." That's not what you spend third round draft picks on in the NFL. Uh, third round should be someone that can compete for a starting role, someone that you have a a big role envisioned for, and maybe they do have a bigger role envisioned for him than what we think. If it is a positionless linebacker uh, type competition here in the summer, and, and you're letting the bail inspectors, AJ Kleins, Tyrell Dodson's compete. With these younger Bernard and uh, now with Williams, fine. By all means, maybe it's going to pan out. And I think Williams did say that Bill told him to uh, learn both positions. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. Yes. So, yes. And Brandon even said yesterday that he kind of could see him maybe getting into the mix for the Mike spot. Although he said Tyrell Dotson, leader in the clubhouse at this point, if he was kind of projecting the position, which I thought was interesting. But I don't think that they're taking it off the table. It's just he's coming from a of a system at Tulane that was very simpler it's more simplistic this one that he's coming into with the bills obviously much more complex and that might take him some time and one of the reasons why i think terrell bernard struggled so much early on last year 
Yeah, exactly. And, you know, in the third round, there were intriguing prospects at cornerback, at safety. Uh, you, you could have, and it wouldn't have made sense for them to go with uh, Darnell Washington after they had just grabbed Kincaid in the first round. Um, but, I mean, a, a player of that caliber that was being hyped up uh, throughout the draft process was still there. And they grabbed another guy that, one, it almost makes last year's third round pick feel like a mistake. And I don't want to write off Terrell Bernard yet, but you're kind of drafting again, outside guy, guy that can contribute on special teams. We liked them. Well, that's great, but I want a third round pick to be on the field contributing and playing in some capacity. It doesn't have to be an every down starter, but a rotational piece at least. Um, and I'm not sure if that's what the bills got with Dorian Williams, really fun player to watch when you look at the highlights and everything. Uh, but I'm just still skeptical on the fit at uh, 59 in the second round, the bills go out and get, you know, what you'd think is they're starting left guard or right guard of the future in Osiris Torrance out of Florida. Uh, you mentioned it. I mean, this is a guy that on most draft evaluators boards was the top pure interior guard. Now, Peter Skaronsky out of Northwestern, a lot of people are projecting him to move inside at the NFL level, but you know, some teams might think that he is still a tackle. So I think if you're talking about guard only, and I know that Torrance sprinkled in a little bit, yeah, I could probably take play tackle if they want me to. You know, I think that their their vision for him is on the interior with the size, his ability to anchor against really big defensive tackles that are athletic, that are fast, that are quick, that are powerful. I really, really like this pick and the value. I mean, this screams, you know, this is the complete opposite of the Boogie Basham pick for me, right? Like where... That felt like you felt like you had to take him because he was, you know, maybe sticking out on the board, but there was no real path to him, you know, having any impactful role as a rookie. There is a direct line from the night of the draft to the starting lineup on September 8th, 9th, 10th, whenever they open up for Osiris Torrance in this offensive line. And that is exactly why, Ryan, I gave this pick. Let me scroll up. An A plus went all the way to the top. The value met the prospect met the uh, timing for need on the roster. I really like this pick by the Bills. Yeah, this is one of two home run swings that Brandon Bean made in the draft, and I would give it an A-plus as well. You mentioned it. He's the best pure guard in this draft class. And Skaronsky, uh, there's a few others that uh, were, oh, Bergeron, obviously from Syracuse, Cody Mock, uh, all guys that have the ability to play tackle, but they're being projected to play guard. It's not easy to go from tackle to guard or guard to tackle. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how those three players specifically develop over time if they are kicked inside. And uh, But, you know, Tor- uh, Osiris Torrance, you have a player that knows the guard spot, has been dominant at the guard spot, didn't give up any sacks, hardly gave up any quarterback pressures. If you want to get more serious about the run game, he can kind of be that guy that mauls people. We talked about this on the show uh, uh, after the day two. You're going up against guys like Christian Wilkins, Quinnen Williams, Chris uh, Jones. Players like that, and you know, Philadelphia has a strong D-line. You're going to see them this year. You want someone that can go toe-to-toe with that, and that's a lot to put on a rookie, mind you. Uh, but I think Osiris Torrance is someone that's capable of doing that. Only knock against him is he's not that athletic type of guard that the Bills usually have gone for, but he's a mauler. He's, he's a guy that if he gets his hands on you, he's not going to usually let you buy him. So uh, in terms of value... It was a it was a A plus type of pick because there were so many mock drafts leading up to this where the Bills took him at round one at number twenty seven to get him at fifty nine. That's outstanding value on a really good player. If he lands at left guard, one of the most interesting things that I'm I want to see kind of how it develops is the impact that it has on Deion Dawkins. If he is good from the jump, 
and he's reliable from the jump. And you're starting to, you know, not see as much of that just immediate like pass rush block wrap losses like we saw with Roger Saffold last year. If that maybe ups the ante a little bit for Deion Dawkins, okay, I can feel more comfortable on the island out here because I'm not as worried about what's happening at left guard. I mean, in a lot of ways, when you're paying a guy 14 and a half million and, you know, the dam is breaking right next to him, I think at times that probably like led to some of the problems for Deion Dawkins. He did not look nearly like the same player that he was a year ago. And he dealt with two bouts of COVID that year, which is crazy to even think about. But I really like the upside here for not just Torrance, but what it can mean for that offensive line, probably Mitch Morris as well. Yeah, it's huge for the offensive line. And, you know, think about early on in Dion's career when, when Feliciano, he had a good stint here. Uh, when he was playing well, it helped Deion Dawkins. Uh, incognito, when he was playing, it helped Dawkins very early in his career. If you have a guy that's playing at a high level at guard next to you, it does. It allows you to focus on your responsibilities. You're not worried about what's happening there. And that's going to really solidify the left side of the line if that is where Torrance ends up being. Uh, I think that could also be a really positive move for Connor McGovern. I thought McGovern, when given opportunities to play right guard for Dallas, when injuries took place, he was even better at right guard than he was at left guard. I think he's solid at mm-hmm. both, but get him at right guard. And man, then all of a sudden, I think this line can be strong through there. And then who knows what that means for Spencer Brown, but you would like to think if you have someone good next to you there, it might help elevate Spencer Brown's game as well. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. So uh, the number one pick, uh, Dalton Kincaid, tight end out of Utah. The Bills get aggressive, move up two spots. They give up a fourth round pick. Uh, Like we mentioned earlier, they ended up getting a pick back, a finish with six with a couple of deals that get them that yield a couple of picks for next year. I mean, this is going to be an aggressive brand to be in 2024. I, I have a feeling with that third round pick, he sees an opportunity to kind of pounce on a draft class that you're hoping is really good. And I think that's going to really with the 10 picks now, it's going to really elevate depending on what happens. I mean, if the bills fall short of the Super Bowl again next year, I know fans are going to be really disappointed, but it's really going to uplift all of the different parts of the offseason. I felt like there was kind of like a lull after they lost. I mean, there was so much placed on 2023 and going to the Super Bowl and, and competing for one that when they didn't, I felt like the air came out of the balloon a little bit. And also, obviously, everything that happened with DeMar Hamlin, that I just didn't feel the same energy around the draft, especially with the fact that they didn't have as many picks as they had uh, the year prior in the last couple. Now with 10, Ryan, this makes next year's draft like, I think, and my my, my laundry's done, if you heard the buzzer in the background. <laughs> yeah, so with all the extra draft capital the Bills have, you know, a lot can change over the course of a year, but people are saying this draft class in 2024 is supposed to be significantly better than the 2023 draft class. And if that is the case, having these extra picks to wheel and deal and move around, you know, you, you can package some of those day three picks uh, with one of your day two picks and move up and, and get a guy that you really covet, a guy that you think should have been a first-round player. I think there's going to be a lot more first-round grades in this upcoming draft class than there were in this one. So uh, I like the wheeling and dealing. I like the extra sixth-round picks that he was able to get, uh, especially one of them from the, the Texans, which you would imagine is going to be a higher sixth-round pick. As much as their roster has improved, uh, there's still work to be done with uh, the Houston Texans. So Kincaid here... Um... And before we get into the draft grade for him, I want to give a shout out uh, for your calendars. Uh, most people have them on their phone now. If you got one like hanging from the fridge, I want you to put a little X uh, marks the spot for May 20th 
shout uh, returns to wing nuts. It's our monthly live show. Uh, we're so excited about that. We'll, we'll have more on the draft from that show. We'll start to talk about OTAs. We'll get a couple looks at that point uh, at this rookie class out on the practice field at rookie mini camp. Uh, so we'll dive into that as well. Um, it's going to be a fun show, right? Uh, May 20th, the event page is live up over at uh, my Facebook page. Uh, you can RSVP there. We're excited. There are th- those shows. If you haven't been out for one yet, uh, they're fun. You get a chance to kind of experience the show, but it's kind of more just about hanging out, talking football off air. Like when we're just kind of hanging out, you know, eating some wings, drinking some beers and, and talking bills with uh, anybody that wants to come out. Yeah, it's, you know, great food, great drinks when you're there, wing nuts. And like you said, getting uh, to hang out with Bills fans before and after the podcast uh, makes it worth it. It makes it so such a great atmosphere. So can't wait for May 20th for the next show. Kincaid um, is going to be a fun one to track over the um, summer uh, at training camp, how the Bills are using him. Obviously, there's all those rules around like what we can and can't report. So that'll be kind of fun to navigate. But (laughs) I really like the fit of the player here, like from what he potentially can add to the offense. We talked about this two days ago. You know, my biggest objective for Brandon Bean going into this draft was having a plan for a player and then going out and getting one that you can implement. Sometimes you get a player just because he's the best player on your board, but there's no way to implement him. And I mean, it wasn't necessarily the case with, with Kyer Elam. Uh, I think that was more of a choice that they made, but I think that there is a definitive path to a productive role in the offense for Dalton Kincaid. I gave the move a B plus because I dinged them a little bit on losing the pick. I probably would have upped it to an A minus now that um, they got another pick back on day three. So I think it kind of equals itself out and the bills have really been good in the sixth and seventh round over the years. The one talking point that I want to get into here though, is some people that have put out the, the draft history, the modern draft history of a tight end in round one. And I think that that's kind of like a faulty comparison to use, because if you look at some of those names, some of the most recent ones like Kyle Pitts or TJ Hawkinson, those guys are going into bottom 10 passing offenses in the NFL without quarterbacks. And so I think if you look at a guy like Dalton Kincaid, you got to look at the spot that he's landing. He's landing with the Bills, number seven in pass offense last year, number two scoring offense last year. They have an elite playmaker already in Stefan Diggs. They're upgrading their offensive line. It's likely to be better. I just don't know if that necessarily, that argument against taking Kincaid works because I think you got to factor in the landing spot in this Bills passing game is one of the best landing spots for a tight end, wide receiver, or running back in this draft. Yeah, I'm going to give the the move, first of all, an A. Uh, Tight ends do take a little bit longer to develop, at least historically. So I I do envision a big role for him out of the gate. You can line him up in the slot. It's it's more of a quasi-11 than it is a 12 personnel type of grouping, but you can do 12 personnel as well uh, in the way that you traditionally use two tight end sets. Uh, He's a great pass catcher, great athlete. uh, Number one overall tight end on on the draft board. As much as I love guys like Michael Mayer, Mayer would have been really good if you were looking for someone that could also block. That's the one knock on Kincaid is he's not a great blocker, but he'll have the opportunity to learn and develop in that area, just like Dawson Knox has over the first few years of his career. He's gotten better and better each year. But Kincaid is another weapon for this offense. That's something that Bills fans and that Brandon Bean has been clamoring for. When you can get the top tight end, the top guard, and back-to-back rounds, if you're a Bills fan, you should feel really happy about that. And I love what you said, Matt, about, you know, you look at Kyle Pitts. Yeah, he he had a very old Matt Ryan early on in his career. 
uh, Desmond Ritter and Marcus Mariota last year. That's not a, a recipe for success for any kind of tight end in this league. Josh Allen, though, when you have Stefan Diggs, you have Gabe Davis, you have a good running game, you have improvements on your offensive line. Kincaid's going to have a lot of opportunities to contribute and, and be someone that you can line up in a, in a variety of ways. The traditional 12 personnel line them up in the slot. And it wasn't that long ago that the slot position was so important to this Bills offense with Cole Beasley. If he can take on that type of role for this offense, it, he could be very dangerous uh, in terms of what he can do right out of the gate. And we talked about this, Matt. Look at the, the last 10, 12 Super Bowls. Most of those Super Bowl winners or the team in the game has a top-tier tight end. Uh, Kincaid can be that for Buffalo. I like the comparison that I shared yesterday. Like He's a Mark Andrews type for an offense, and anyone that's watched Baltimore knows how important Andrews is to making that thing run. I think Kincaid can be a very important uh, factor for this offense and l- letting them take their offense to an even higher level than before. So let's take a look at this draft class as a whole here before we move on uh, to, I want to talk about the UDFAs and maybe what Brandon Bean is going to do now that his, I believe his roster is sitting at about 80 right now. If, mm-hmm. if, if the UDFA count is correct, it's, that's a rough number because there might be some moves that have happened already, like UDFA wise that just haven't popped out yet. So we'll, we'll put it around 80 at this point, the draft class as a whole, I, I really liked you know, the Brandon Bean came out afterwards and said that it wasn't his intention to go into this thing and come out with any specific haul. Like he wanted to get a weapon. He wanted to address the defensive line, but it was or offensive line, but it wasn't something where come hell or high water. He's doing that with, without regard for anything else. I think the way that the draft felt and the aggressive spots at, at, at times that he was able to go and get a Kincaid and, um, you know, getting a guy like shorter in the fifth round, uh, with a lot of potential, and then obviously Torrance. I gave the the overall grade a B plus. It got brought down a little bit by the Dorian Williams um, situation, despite me having some hopes for him as a player. Like I, I want that to be clear. It's not. I didn't give that move a C because I don't think Dorian Williams can turn into a really valuable player for them. There's there's that possibility. I just think that with with what they already have on the roster, the investment they made on Mil- in Milano, the fact that they have Bernard on the roster, they have Dotson as well. I just think that resources could have been spent differently. But we'll see. If he turns into a starter and, and a really good starter, that grade's obviously going to come up. You had to come out with weapons. You had to come out with protection for Josh Allen. Brandon Bean did both. I give it a B+. Plus. Yeah, B-plus is where I'm sticking with it as well for the overall draft grade. Uh, I'm glad they didn't press for a defensive tackle, but uh, I felt like uh, leaving without one was maybe something that uh, he wasn't thrilled with, but that's just the way the board fell. There are a lot of veterans that we can get into that are out there on the market still they could address that with. But he, like I said, two back-to-back home run swings to start the draft with Kincaid and Osiris Torrance. When you're picking late in the round, like the Bills were, and to be able to get two guys of that caliber, that's a win in my book every day of the week. So Dorian Williams, yep, he brings the grade down a little bit because I want to see what the plan is for him. Uh, right now, I don't see the path to significant playing time on this defense right out of the gate, which, again, third round, get a, a rotational piece, get someone that can contribute right, right away. Uh, round three or day three, excuse me, I, I did like the picks there as well, so that kind of, uh, brought it or kept it in that B plus range. Could have gone A minus, but I think B plus is a good spot to have them. Carl Tomlin, our good buddy over on YouTube, a stud receiver plus one uh, and a stud O line plus one is terrific. He gives the Bills an A grade. And listen, I I do think that there's a lot to like. Um, and I 
you know, I, I, I think for Bills fans, I hope that Dorian Williams turns into a, a pro bowler, all pro type player. And we look back on this situation for your sakes and you say, oh, there, there was a real vision with that pick for Brandon Bean. And listen, Bean follows his board like that has to get baked mm-hmm. in here a little bit. I could probably up it a little bit in terms of the grade because he. Dorian Williams must have been standing out so highly on his board and he didn't want to reach for one of the defensive tackles. And if you go back to that spot, they get Dorian Williams at 91, two defensive tackles go in the next 10 picks. Broderick Martin out of Western Kentucky didn't do much work on him. Wasn't very familiar with him. Two picks later, Siaki uh, Ika, the defensive tackle out of Baylor. I had I saw him going in some mock drafts in the second round. So maybe that was a guy that the Bills could have considered considered but again being said it was wasn't even a, a consideration because of how much they valued Williams at 91 uh, again he sticks to the board he stays true to the board they like him a lot maybe he comes out and he's he does have a, a role in terms of that uh middle linebacker competition maybe he rotates in there uh maybe the way they utilize him in certain situations and games where you want to have more linebackers on the field he can kind of insert himself into that role they have a lot of bodies, though, right now at linebacker. So that's the area where I'm most intrigued in terms of how this settles. Is it something where could Medikevich be at risk? I don't know. He's, he's such a core special teamer. He's a captain for this team. Uh, so you think there's a path for him. Maybe it's an A.J. Klein. A.J., we like you. We know what you can do. But we want to have you as one of our veteran practice squad guys. There's a lot of guys fighting for this role that we, you and I are envisioning as like that Tremaine Edmonds role. But maybe the Bills are going in with a completely different philosophy this season. And if that's the case... That's why it's hard to kind of project this Dorian Williams pick right now. All right. The UDFA uh, market is wide open. And Ryan Talbot over at New York Upstate and Syracuse.com right now, if you click it, you can find the UDFA tracker. Ryan's, I would say this is maybe top three favorite things that you do all year long. And and you do a great job of it. So I think it's it's one of those things that we got to cover it a little bit. There's uh, a couple that have been reported uh, one by you, one or at least one by you. Uh, why don't you take us through some of the names that uh, have reportedly already signed with the Bills, UDFA, uh, undrafted free agents? Yeah, so one that's not a UDFA signing, but interesting to people from around this area, a rookie minicamp invite, James Patterson, linebacker, UB. So he'll be at the rookie minicamp, uh, get an opportunity to show what he can do, maybe sign a, a UDFA deal after that. They went back to Florida, and I'm going to butcher his last name, but Richard... Garage, G-O-U-R-A-I-G-E. Florida offensive lineman, someone, a teammate, obviously, with, with all of a sudden Buffalo has a lot of Florida Gators on this team. So uh, another Florida Gator coming in here. Tyrell Shavers, uh, that's the one that I was able to report. Interesting play at Alabama and Mississippi State before he joined San Diego State. Uh, three touchdowns this past season, six feet, six inches tall. So the Bills are looking for those bigger wide receivers after drafting a 6'4 receiver. They had a 6'6 wide receiver in Tyrell Shavers. Uh, Jordan Mims running back Fresno State. I think a lot of fans thought maybe a running back would be in play late in the draft. They had one in on drafted free agency. 37 career touchdowns at Fresno State. A uh, guy that has a nose for the end zone. Maybe he's, he ends up being uh, you know like Blackshear was last year where fan favorite ends up on the practice squad and who knows from there. DJ Dale, that's one, you know, name value wise, he was someone that was kind of a, I want to say a surprise on drafted free agent, but had he been drafted, I don't think anyone would have blinked an eye. Alabama mm-hmm. defensive lineman, um, 10 and a half tackles for loss in his career, 5.5 sats, someone that could end up winning a, one of those roster spots on the D line. 
intriguing wise, Jalen Wade is a, a name to watch. Cousins with former Colts wide receiver Reggie Wayne. Uh, I'm a big believer in good bloodlines and, and how, you know, the athleticism, the traits that could be there. So um, Jalen Wade, 58 catches, 816 yards, nine touchdowns at South Alabama this past season. Uh, a name to watch and, and kind of keep an eye on. Yeah, Beth, I was just saying like a Blackshear situation in the comments here. Didn't he leave? Yes, he's not with the Bills anymore, but he was a fan favorite because of how he produced and he was on the practice squad for a while before he ended up leaving this team uh, and, and going to Carolina. And then last but not least, Noah Henderson, East Carolina offensive tackle. I'm glad they're at least addressing the offensive line, looking for options there, seeing how he holds up. 26 career starts at East Carolina. I really like the for me the the one that really sticks out is the offensive lineman from Florida, um, our good buddy in the chat. I think it's Rick Rarick there. Uh, pronounced Garage, so Richard Garage. Oh, garage. Uh, yeah, so I was pretty close. Tackle out of Florida. There you go. Six five three zero six. Listen, this there's some value here. I think it's a bit of a surprise in a in a league where guys are you know tackles are a commodity that this guy didn't get drafted. He had a six round grade, I believe, from. Uh, Dane Brugler and played um, with Osiris Torrance on the same offensive line. So you look at it just from a uh, adjustment period for, you know, two rookies having each other to kind of come into camp, go through the process with, I think that's really exciting. A uh, couple wide receivers. I think that they do a really good job. I mean, they've done over the, over the last couple of years, the guys that they bring in that turn into these got to keep them. And, you know, I know Kumaro and Duke Williams weren't necessarily UDFAs, but in that realm where they get guys into their building, they have some success. Maybe they have some good times in preseason and they add to, you know, the competition, which listen, those, those back end cornerbacks, they need good reps too. And so if you're, if you're, if you have that kind of quality player lower on the depth chart, I think it helps everybody involved. So I think some exciting developments here early in, uh, UDFA period. Yeah. And the bills always find a few guys and maybe they're not on the 53 man roster, but they stick around in the uh, practice squad. They, they develop over time. They get opportunities. Kingsley Jonathan was one last year out of Syracuse. Uh, I thought he was pretty impressive when he was in one of the regular season games last year uh, over the year, you know, Eli Anku was another one that they had at one point that's played. So these guys, even if they don't make the 53 man roster, a lot of them get elevated and get opportunities because of injuries. And a lot of them have fared pretty well here in Buffalo. All right. Before we get out of here, some, some news coming out of Brandon beans press conference yesterday. Sure. He was annoyed and not happy that the bills didn't get a defensive tackle in the draft, but you know, they were talking to some defensive tackles apparently before the draft and said, listen, let's uh, put this thing on ice for a few uh, for a week or so. We'll get back together after the draft. And so now you look at, you know, we talked about this, I think, two months ago, Ryan, Puna Ford, uh, yeah. somebody or a month ago, I should say, um, somebody that, you know, from Seattle who's still sitting out there on the free agent market as somebody that the Bills, you know, maybe already had some interest in and maybe they can kind of get those talks going again this week because starting on Monday, the comp pick formula is thrown out the window. You can sign anybody you want to any type of number and it doesn't count against that. That is set in stone come Monday. And I think, listen, the Bills don't have a ton of money, but I think that they have – the availability in terms of contract restructures, even at this point, if they had to do it to maybe go up a little bit higher to get, you know, a return on investment and put some pressure on the Tim settles of the world and the Jordan Phillips of the world, because I don't think you want to just go into year four and say, all right, these, this is our four, you know, kind of put it on cruise control through training camp and preseason and we'll roll the ball out and go in that direction. Again, I think if you bring a guy like Puna Ford in, I think it puts pressure on, 
all parties, maybe even a guy like Ed Oliver, who is going into the final year of his contract and, you know, obviously wanting that extension and bills, maybe still pondering whether or not they want to do that. Yeah. Listen, Puna Ford would be great. There was mutual interest on both sides. The, the sticking point was the money. Uh, you know, the, the bills went out and they were signing everyone for that one year, $1.7 million range because of the compensatory pick. Now, like you said, Monday, it's out the window. So maybe the bills up that offer, whether it's a one year or a multi-year deal to get him into the door. Uh, that would help ease the pain of not drafting a defensive tackle uh, significantly. There's still a veterans, older guys like Al Woods that are out there. If they're looking for a bigger uh, D tackle, I, I feel like he's well over 300. I could be wrong on that off the top of my head. But there are some veteran names at D tackle, at edge rusher, at even offensive tackle. The, the Bills could look at to provide depth and or even some competition for Spencer Brown. It might not be someone that uh, you would favor to de- de- defeat Spencer Brown, but there are still names out there. There's George Fant on the market, I believe. Uh, they had shown interest in, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name now, Dolphins offensive tackle last year. Uh, there was interest, mm-hmm. mutual interest there too. So uh, that could be the case as well here. So uh, keep your eye out on that. And even a running back, Latavius Murray, they brought him in before the draft, visited with him. They didn't draft wide or a running back, excuse me. They brought in a UDFA, but maybe even Murray comes in here and competes for a camp spot. To your point, Ryan, I mean, if you're talking about defensive tackles, there there are still some intriguing names. And it's 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 unbelievable how many players there are. I mean, Frank, Frank Clark, we've talked about him, Yannick and Dockway, Jadavian Clowney, I mean, Matt Ionitis. I mean, there are some edge rushers. Then you look at the interior, Shelby Harris, a guy that you know played all those really good years in, in Denver, went over to Seattle on the Russell Wilson trade. He's now available on the market. Akeem Nix, obviously a little bit older at 33, but if you still think there's a little bit of juice there. And then, you know, I was, I was scrolling through some of the names here. Remember an old friend, uh, somebody the Bills were so, uh, Bills fans were so bummed uh, that, that was cut a couple years ago, ended up going to Cleveland. Vincent Taylor uh, yeah. is still out there available. He's still in his late 20s. I think that could be somebody that, if you want to just take a roll of the dice, point being made, there is a lot of players available out there. And I, I think the Bills can, you know, it's smart to go out and add, especially at that position. Yeah, and Brandon Shell was the name of the offensive tackle that I was blanking on from the Dolphins. Bills had interest in him. But yeah, defensive tackle, you, you just named it. A bunch of guys that can come in and a lot of experience, a lot of playing time in their careers, someone that could be a rotational piece. So the good news for the Bills is that's still one of those positions, both D-tackle and edge rusher with a lot of talent on the market. And now that the comp picks formula is out the window, the Bills are going to get that extra third next year, most likely for Tremaine Edmonds. Uh, you can maybe up your offers to some of these guys that you have some interest in. Uh, Jessica asks um, on Tommy Doyle, do you think he'll be ready for the season? I mean, he was walking pretty quickly uh, after that uh, injury. And I think it happened at a place in the, in time in the season that uh, he's young. Week three. Yeah, week three. So I think that he'll be, you know, well on schedule. I guess I think we'll maybe get a chance to see him uh, here in OTAs in a couple of weeks, see where his progress is. Is he able to kind of go with the, in the team drills at all? Um, do they work him in at that point? And we'll co- probably get kind of more of an update then about that. But I started the season. Yeah, I think I think their the lack of aggressiveness at tackle probably tells you that they believe that Doyle will be ready to go because. I know they have Questenberry. I'm not as high on him as maybe they are, and maybe they'll continue to be. And maybe year two in the system with um, you know Aaron Cromer, things will be better for Questenberry. But 
Doyle's got to be a guy here for them. I mean, they, they, there's not a lot of numbers after Spencer Brown and Deion Dawkins. Yeah, that's well said. You you expect him, I would think, to be back. Young guy, happened so early in the year. Only only reason I remember it was that Dolphins game is they, the Bills players, because of like uh, cramping and other issues mm. and injuries, were dropping like flies in that game. And Doyle played, I think, the last five snaps on that, knowing that he had that injury and uh, just really gutted it out for the team. So you think he'd be back. There's going to be some competition there for the reserve role if it stays as is but maybe they can bring someone in that could at least push Spencer Brown for the starting role. Push your keyboard or your thumb on your phone, wherever you're watching or your iPad. I don't know. I mean, if it's on the TV, I don't know how you do that. A lot of people watching the TV actually, yeah. but good, our, our good buddy, uh, Bernardo uh, Dietze from Brazil, he, he just had his new little girl and he posted on um, Instagram, watch and shout while he was feeding the baby. And I thought that was so awesome. I uh, had it up on the big screen TV. So that, that was really cool. Uh, but if you're, if you're able on YouTube, hit that like button, subscribe to the show as well. Get out your calendar, May 20th, shout live at Wing Nuts. Come out, eat wings, drink beers, talk bills with us. He's Ryan. I'm Matt. I hope we had you covered all weekend for the draft. We are going to get things, uh, you know, uh, shifted up again. Uh, not next week, but the following week, rookie mini camp. Our first look at all these new players for the Bills. We'll have you covered there. We'll have our regular show on Wednesday. Have a great rest of your Sunday. See you then. Take care, everybody. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.